The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. How often do you worry about whether or not you're getting the right insights from the right data? Are you asking the right questions? Are you getting the right answers? Are you able to make decisions with the information and the data that you have? This is a giant problem. Problems getting worse. But to help us out with this today, Nick Amabile. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, Joel. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. This is a big problem. This is really a big problem. I know, I know a lot of uh, senior executives wake up. They worry uh, that the information they're getting, are they asking the right questions? Are they getting the right answers? Do the questions and the answers even match? Because <laughs> a lot of times they seem like they do, but they don't, you know. So let, let's talk about this for a few minutes. I mean, what? how does somebody know if they're getting the right data from the question that they've even asked or if they're being led astray? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. I mean, I see something that we see a lot in, in the clients that we work with and just in my career in, in data analytics uh, is that, you know, if you ask somebody, you know, what were revenue, what was revenue yesterday? How many orders were there yesterday? You're going to get 10 different answers from 10 different people. Uh, and this is a problem because, you know, wait, CEOs, wait, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. That is <laughs> that that should be factual. That That's not yeah, like subjective. Uh, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, that should be every accountant should be able to do that in five seconds. Yep. The, the, so what's the, the problem? problem is the problem is everyone needs to be reading it off of the same sheet of music. Right. And unfortunately, not everyone's an accountant. Right. Not everyone's in the accounting function. Not everyone's in finance, folks in sales, marketing, customer service. They need access to the same consistent data that executives are, are looking at. Essentially, the folks at the front lines of the business need to be able to use data in their day to day jobs to actually make decisions uh, and move the business forward. And unfortunately, uh, with the sort of explosion of software as a service applications and cloud and all the different things and data sources that companies have, uh, the data is not getting into one place and it's not getting into a consistent format for folks to actually access and use. And this is a problem. You know, a lot of co companies that we work with uh, are still on spreadsheets and spreadsheets are prone to manual error. They're obviously not automated. Uh, they're taking a lot of time to put together. Uh, and, and the question that you might ask um, and, and get an answer back uh, for your business, that's going to be get more and more questions, right? So if, you, if, you, if I asked you, hey, how much uh, you know, money did we make yesterday? You give me an answer. I'm going to have 10 other questions that's going to come out, out of that question, right? So where, you know, what was the marketing channel where they came from? Uh, what type of customers were purchasing from us? All these different questions then come from that original question. And so it's really important for businesses to be able to be agile with their data to ask 
different questions to drill down, to slice and dice. And that needs to be throughout the entire business. And so that's kind of what we call data democratization. And that's something that we definitely try to help our clients with uh, every day. This, um, this is a little different than I was expecting. I was kind of expecting a high level discussion about, you know, uh, the kinds of things that senior people think about, but what we're talking about is that, you know, even medium level people, you know, people who yeah. are uh, frontline managers, yeah. uh, they struggle to get the information because their information should be pretty objective. What, what they do with it isn't objective necessarily, but at least the data, how much was the sales, what regions were serviced? You sure. know, I mean, I mean, those things are, don't they get reports that, that come out of accounting systems that are pretty straightforward? Why, why do we have this problem? Yeah, the, the the issue again is sort of all the different data sources have a slightly different view of the business. So one, you know, your accounting system, your finance system, your ERP may have one view of the business. Uh, you might have another uh, view of your business if you have like an application or a website uh, of how your customers are interacting with that website. And really, those things are sort of disconnected typically, uh, and they need to be connected so that you know you're able to look at. Okay, what did the customer do before they purchase? Which marketing channel did they come from? You know, what are all the demographic data about this customer? And they typically live in you know three or four different systems, let's say. Uh, so aggregating and, and centralizing that data is super critical, and it's become very very difficult because the size of data has just exploded. Uh, a lot of companies that we work with are making a transition from kind of a traditional maybe brick and mortar uh, retail operation to an e-commerce direct to consumer uh, type model. Uh, and that means that they have to get better at digital marketing and, and all the different clickstream and analytics and all the different data sets that they have to work with. This, this, um, I'm, I'm really surprised that, uh, you know, we've been, we've been doing this for 30 years now. I mean, it, it, you know, computers are not like, you know, two years ago. I mean, we've been working on this for 30 years and I'm a little surprised that as great as we are, that we haven't solved this problem. And, and my, the, the first thing I jumped to from multiple data sets, complicated, you know, all the big yep. data is yep. this recent vaccination thing that we just uh, yeah. all live through. And, you know, you go on one website and that website didn't know what the other website was saying. If you, go on, if you go on one of the local pharmacies, they didn't plug into the national database. So, you know, they couldn't tell if you already got vaccinated, if you need to be vaccinated. You know, it seems like there'd be this like national giant database and we'd all put our information in, which, which is not great for privacy, but, you know, but, but the information's sure. out there. And you would think that th that information would be there and, and that somehow or another, these systems would talk to each other. But it was clear and obvious to every one of us that registered for that system yeah. uh, that, that A doesn't know what B is doing. And this right hand, the left hand, I mean. That's a, that's, a really, that's a really good analogy. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good analogy. And I think, you know, a lot of it is, is very similar. Think about different business units within uh, a company. You know, you might have, you, like I said, sales, you have, might have marketing, you might have customer service. Um, they, they don't necessarily coordinate and work with each other that often, but they have needs for data and, and that data needs to be consistent across the entire uh, organization. So this is a challenge. I mean, certainly on the, on the scale of vaccinations, that's, that's a whole, you know, sort of other scale of, of challenges. But, you know, what I'd say is that the problem is not actually a technology problem. The tech, like, as you say, right, the technology exists. Um, there's awesome cloud technology out there. You can find data warehouses or analytics vendors, uh, you know, many, many of them out there. Uh, and they're all great. The problem is more of a people and organizational uh, type problem. Uh, and, and it's really about, you know, data governance and data literacy uh, within companies. Um, and, you know, uh, I think one of the main things is folks don't know which data to trust and where to get the data that they need. Uh, and this is a problem that, you know, again, we solve for our clients uh, through data democratization, 
data governance programs. This stuff, again, is much more process-driven than, than technology-driven. You know, I, I think that, um, this is my personal opinion, I think that the word data is frequently abused, it's manipulated. I, I mean, it's a very manipulative word. You know, the yeah. data says, I mean, the data says 500 different things, but the data yeah. that I'm going to pick from right now is this one thing, and, and it says... So I think we have to be very careful. Uh, even follow the science uh, really bothers me. Uh, listen, I believe in scientists. I believe in doctors. I got the vaccine. Sure. I'm not pushing back. But what I'm saying is that science is a moving target. We, we watch this with the vaccine. The first uh, two weeks of the vaccine or month, or I, I mean, when the, when the pandemic started, don't wear a mask, not necessary. Uh, then, then they realized that it was different and they changed the plan. They, they didn't flip-flop. These aren't politicians who are flip-flopping. These are doctors who are learning. And, and I think that we frequently take things out of context. And, and that's one of the things that I notice about data is that uh, data is an easy thing to take out of context, like a statistic. Any statistic yeah. can say anything for any side that you want to make it. So how do we sort of standardize it and keep it from being uh, you know, manipulated? Well, that's that's one hundred percent correct, right? And, and as you say, right, the the sort of scale of of the problem is different for businesses, but it's very very similar to what you described there. Um, you know, if I say revenue and you say revenue, I might include shipping or tax. There might be a specific accounting view of that. There might be more of an operational view of that. Um, and so that's kind of where data governance comes into play, because uh, essentially what you want to do is have agreed upon definitions for metrics and dimensions uh, in your data. Um, and again, until somebody has agreed across the organization what these terms mean, they mean something different to everybody. Everyone's going to have their own interpretation. And to your point, uh, there's not going to be really a consistent um, you know, viewpoint on how the business is doing and where do we go from here. Uh, so that's exactly kind of a data dictionary, establishing a data governance program, thinking about where your data is coming from and what happens to it between you know, when a customer lands on your website and until it gets into a report. What happens in between that? There's a lot of stuff that can happen. Uh, and so building up trust and transparency in your data is super critical. And again, that's done through a data governance type program. And, and again, mostly process driven, more than technology driven. So how come this data dictionary doesn't exist and get taught to students in colleges? Uh, so when they come out, we have a standardized kind of platform across the whole business community everywhere in the United States. I mean, why? Yeah. And I'll give you, for example, you know, Sure. Uh, when we were little kids, we got marched into the library and we learned this thing called the Dewey Decimal System. And here's how you find a book. The whole, they got thousands of books and here's how you find the one you're looking for. And here's how you put right. it back. And it was now with computers, uh, your computer's organized different than mine. Mine's organized different from you. And we're all do, do what we want to do. And every business names their thing. And, and I call them naming conventions. I mean, you call yeah, it that's right. vocabulary, but uh, yeah, that's right. Why haven't we standardized? Why haven't we all kind of agreed on the language that when we say revenue, here's what revenue is. It's not, yeah. it doesn't include this and this and this and this. And if you want to be more technical, okay, here's the accounting definition. That's a little different. Fine. Right. But here's the generic business. Why don't we do that? Yeah, it's always slightly different for slightly different businesses, right? I mean, everyone has their own uh, sort of business model, their own different areas of focus, um, and, and again, there's different use cases even within a given business. Like I kind of mentioned a few like sales and marketing that there might be something slightly different. Uh, you know, marketing wants to compare not just revenue. They want to compare uh, sort of maybe gross uh, profit to compare that to how much we're actually spending on acquiring customers and things like that. So they need a slightly different view of the data, perhaps, than, than the accounting team or the finance team. 
Um, but you're right. I think, you know, it's kind of funny. I mean, we, we hire a number of uh, data uh, and analytics consultants for our team and, and you know, we're, we're very active in the university recruiting cycle. And unfortunately, I think that there's a lot of uh, gaps in the current curriculum uh, that, that kind of underprepare folks uh, for coming into um, data and analytics. And it's not just, you know, our team and, and folks who are in data and analytics day in and day out. Data and analytics is really the critical kind of table stakes these days for modern businesses. So I think everyone in the business needs to be data literate and needs to understand some amount of kind of where data comes from and how it gets to uh, kind of a report, a graph or an insight. You know, what's, what's interesting is that uh, there is one place where consistency is imperative. You know, you can't have apples and oranges and all the other shades in between like you're describing uh, right now. And yep. that is for investors. Yep. Investors, when investors look at an, uh, you know, an income report or a balance sheet, uh, you know, everybody has to see the same thing. And, and so auditors, the, the job of the auditors is to take what you're talking about this, uh, you know, no matter how your company defines it, and putting it into the generally accepted accounting principles format so that every investor everywhere is they know when they see revenue, it means revenue. And they know when they see uh, bad debt, it means they know what it means. And, and all companies are held to as close as accountants can do one standard. So why isn't that happening in other industries that uh, I, I don't know? Well, well, I'd say I'd say it's it's certainly happening in terms of like you say, right? There are regulations, there's, you know, all kinds of rules and regulations on how you report, uh, you know, financial information to investors. Uh, certainly, public companies that we work with have uh, are subject to those type of rules and regulations. But the, the funny thing is, though, when you ask uh, the finance team or the accounting team, they'll give you the the sort of gap definition, and then the rest of the business is looking at a different version of the same numbers. And so then that's when things start to break down, right? Like the trust starts to break down. The finance and accounting team is saying, well, that's not what I have. That's not what we're reporting to the street. Uh, so it's a very difficult job uh, to kind of come in and reconcile that, make sure that there are systems in place, both technical and processes in place, to be able to make sure that everyone's reading from the same sheet of music. Um, and, you know, these days, too, if you look at a lot of the companies that we work with, they um, they report some non-GAAP metrics uh, as part of their investor presentations. And, you know, those metrics are a little bit less uh, sort of scrutinized and less standardized. And they can sort of define those metrics kind of how they wish. Um, so anyway, I think I think you'll see that there's a there's kind of a little bit of a disconnect between what folks are seeing and sort of GAAP reporting versus, you know, internal operational day to day reporting. It's awesome. So thank you for. Uh, for sharing, I, I love talking to a guy like you with with the kind of smarts to talk about this whole other world that uh, is, is almost amorphous to many of us. Um, let's shift gears for a second. I want to talk about sure. something else. Can we talk about cloud computing? Absolutely, and let's do security it. and some of these issues. Um, this uh, Colonial Oil Pipeline deal, where some criminal organization in Europe, you know, launched a little, uh, you know, nuclear digital, a little digital <laughs> nuclear bomb that that, that, <laughs> that caused our system to stop working and, and has caused, uh, you know, people in uh, states up and down the eastern seaboard not to have gasoline and their, their lives were changed and revenues lost and all sorts of problems. And now it's rippling across the United States. Uh, you know, how fragile are our systems? I mean, if, if somebody from overseas could put in a little piece of code that makes the whole United States go to its knees. I mean, what about our nuclear grid and our electrical grid and all? I mean, what are, what's going on here? Man, I'll tell you this much. I, I'm, I'm certainly worried, right? I mean, like, I think, I think part, of the, part of the problem is, 
you know, the, the government uh, is a little bit behind in some of the modern technologies. Uh, and, and unfortunately, it doesn't have, you know, kind of the talent and brain power, like the, the talent and brain power in, you know, computer science, analytics, data, security, cybersecurity, those type of things. They're mostly in Silicon Valley. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't think the, the, there's been enough uh, sort of investment there. I mean, but that's changing, right? There's like the Jedi Project and other sort of cloud computing initiatives uh, that the government's undertaking. Um, but this is this is a real issue, and and I think the problem is, you know, these systems are antiquated. They're they're on prem, uh, on premise, if you will, uh, as we say. Uh, and I think a lot of it also is just sort of um, you know social engineering, as we call it, in in the, in the analytics business, where um, essentially it's just uh, phishing attacks, like a simple link that you might click in an email that seems unsuspecting, then all of a sudden opens up, uh, you know, a huge malware attack or something like that. Uh, so so it's a lot of times it's actually just. Uh, sort of exploiting human weaknesses and human sort of um, you know uh, capabilities as opposed to technical capabilities, but those those systems need to be in place from a technical standpoint to really protect us against those type of things. You know, it's it's hard to uh, understand this. I mean, granted, we have you know the, the the smartest people in the industry are in Silicon Valley. Granted, that's true, except for uh, that one guy in New York where you are, for example. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> uh, no, we we have these these fantastic people in the private sector, and and there are lots of yep. good ones in the public sector, by the way. Absolutely. And the public sector hires the private sector. Uh, to install uh, cloud computing. So uh, yep. Amazon's web services company, AWS, I mean, they run the federal government. I mean, a lot of it runs on that system. A lot of these companies use the, the iPhone technologies or, or the other kinds of technologies. So it's not that they're not taking advantage. They may not employ the people in Silicon Valley, but they certainly are yep. taking advantage of their technologies. So how come these vendors who are paid billions and billions of dollars can't make this stop? I mean, this is not the first time this happened. I mean, this is... We have, we have we have a, an accumulating history now of these things happening. Yeah, and, and you know, and to your point, Joel, right? There, there are a lot of smart people in the government, a lot of smart people working to implement these uh, new cloud-based technologies and, and trying to protect us from these type of attacks. So, you know, no disrespect there. I think the the challenge though is immensely complex, right? I mean, there's there's so many different systems. Some are like you know, Colonial Pipeline. Some of it is privately owned and privately, you know, sort of managed, and others are. You know, publicly and, and government managed. So I think the the, the complexity and just the, the surface area of attack is just so large. One of the things I wonder about that this this government attack, and then also back to what we started that every every system you got twelve systems in a company or four <laughs> systems, and they don't talk to each other. Um, sure. Is that because the capitalist system? And, and I'm a big fan of the capitalist system, but is that a, is this a is this kind of like a negative thing about the capitalist system that? Uh, that these companies are not cooperating to create something that works. They all want to own the customer and, and instead of just a fractional piece and they're not cooperating. Yeah, that, that's that's an interesting thought. I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, the way that we see it within companies is there are these sort of point solutions that are kind of software as a service based. So you might have the marketing team on Google AdWords or whatever it is. You might have the product team the, on a different sort of system. And those systems work well for those kind of very specific needs, uh, kind of functional area needs, if you will. But they're not holistically thinking about the business. And, you know, a lot of companies that we see, there's sort of this idea of shadow IT, you know, where essentially somebody can take their company credit card and sign up for a software as a service type application uh, pretty quickly without a lot of authorization and oversight. And then that adds just another data silo to the mix. It's, It's something that's now disconnected from the rest of the data analytics and the view of the business. So I think it's just, you know, on the one hand, it's great because folks can get their needs met, whether it's on the marketing or sales team. 
they can get their needs met relatively quickly and, and move things forward. But it creates really a fragmented uh, sort of technology landscape within a lot of companies that we see. So, uh, I mean, is there a solution here or, uh, you know, we don't need to beat a dead horse because I, I have another thing <laughs> I want to ask you about. But sure. I just, you know, I, I just wonder if there's a solution. Yeah, I mean, you know, from from our perspective, at least, you know, and, and we do you know, mostly exclusively private uh, private sector type work. Um, you know, the, the solution is aggregating and centralizing your data in one place. And I think, you know, a lot of companies uh, like software as a service vendors that you might use in a business, um, they're offering you know, open APIs and ways to connect and interact with these systems and extract the data. But I think it's really about, again, this kind of data governance process and, and making data and analytics within a company like a first-class citizen. Everything that you do, whether it's buying a new technology or launching a new feature in your product or creating a new uh, sort of market or product, uh, it needs to be viewed through a data and analytics lens. How are we going to take this data out of wherever it lives and centralize it? How are we going to make sure that we know the right KPIs to track to see if this thing was a success or not, right? So it basically means that data and analytics has to be considered through everything that you do uh, in a company. So that's, again, people problem, not a technology problem. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's, let's shift gears again. Uh, sure. I'd like, to, I'd like to understand a little bit about the role of AI yeah. and, and, and how it relates to data analytics or the collection or implementation or development or gathering of data. How, how are these things connected? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think you know, there's there's certainly been a lot of hype and and sort of um, you know news uh, and sort of press uh, out there in terms of AI and sort of its capabilities. I think a lot of it, you know, at least the customers that we work with, uh, and as we've been talking about, really, they're still kind of at square one, right? They're trying to to sort of walk before they run, if you will. And so, getting a clean, consistent, centralized set of data is really necessary to take that next step and to do things like machine learning and AI predictive analytics. So I think we're still in the very early early stages of actually deploying AI and machine learning, certainly within businesses, right? There are some really great use cases uh, for, for, for you know, machine learning and AI, but a lot of them are very, very specific. So in other words, like image recognition or uh, customer segmentation, and those things have business value, but you can't really start to do those things if you don't have a clean, consistent set of data that's centralized and easily accessible. So that's where a lot of our customers are still at square square one, really. Uh, but I'm really excited about the possibility for machine learning and AI over the next you know, five plus years. Yeah. You know, I, I sort of get the sense that a lot of AI is really marketing. Uh, it's a marketing thing. I think that's right. Yeah. You know, I've got a phone that calculates things and it's doing AI. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean right. that's. That's sort of what people do. You know, everybody's got AI going. You know, we uh, we use AI and it, it does these crazy things. And it's like, wow, that's, I mean, computers in a certain way, you know, computers feel like AI because they're so fast. But AI is a specific thing that that takes the data that's well-organized the way you're talking about. And then it yep. thinks about it in a certain way and then comes out with some answer. Uh, and, and that, by the way, is the reason, in, in my estimation, that... Uh, uh, that the United States and, and other, uh, in, you know, organizations or, or countries or populations are accelerating so fast is that decisions are not being made by people who have to use pencil and paper and calculate. You know, it took a long time for a lot of things to happen in the past, and they're happening much faster now. And I think the reason has a lot to do with computing power, just because yeah. a lot of the mundane stuff is being done either for us and even some of the not mundane stuff is being done by computers. Well, that's right. And I think, you know, you hit on a really good point there, which which comes back to our discussion around cloud computing. I mean, you know, 
AWS, Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud, Microsoft Azure, they really offer infinite amount of computing power. They offer great sort of machine learning and AI type uh, services. And so it makes it much more easier and much, much easier and much more accessible uh, to actually leverage those technologies uh, within your business or sort of, you know, in, in government or, or wherever or you want to use them. So I think that's been a huge, uh, you know, boon for, for just, you know, AI and machine learning in general. Uh, but again, I think there's still a lot more to come there. And I think we're still pretty much in the early stages, although, you know, there's been some great strides made recently uh, from some of the cloud providers. Yeah. It's, uh, do you look forward in time at all? I mean, you ever think about what uh, what your world is going to be like, the world of data analytics, machine learning, and all this kind of stuff? You know, what it, what it will be, you know, where will we be in five years? Do you think this problem that we're talking about of siloed data kind of being aggregated is going to be resolved in five or 10 years? Or, or what do you think? Yeah, that's a really good question and something that I do spend a lot of time thinking about. I, I think we still have another three to five years of kind of just, you know, again, getting folks off of spreadsheets and getting people onto sort of automated cloud consistent data sets. Um, so I think that there's still, you know, a lot of work to do there. And that's really what our company has, has been founded. That's that's what we do every day. Uh, I think as as that sort of, you know, three to five year horizon approaches, I think that's when we'll start to see folks asking, okay, great. I got all my data in one place. I trust it. It's consistent. I know what it means. What else can I do with it? Right. And so we, we do get customers who are more mature in their data and analytics journey, start to ask us those type of questions. And we see not only machine learning and AI becoming a really great uh, sort of next step for, for folks, but also applications that leverage data and put data like, you know, in the line of business type day-to-day work. So in other words, salespeople are, are building an application or we build an application for salespeople that allow them to adjust prices on the fly and then look at analytics and competitor prices and things like that. So applications, uh, additional sort of sharing of data. So like you said, almost, right, you have CVS, you have Walgreens doing the vaccine sharing of data between uh, those two, you know, basically competitors, right, is, is, is a very interesting type of place that I think we'll start to see uh, data getting shared, but also monetized, um, which, which is going to be, I think, really interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I try to think a lot about these feature things and, uh, you know, and, and when you're talking about, you know, uh, having access to all the competitor data all in one place, that sounds like an awesome thing if you were the only person in the world that had that. But the other people <laughs> on the other side of the table are going to have that too. Sure. <laughs> and it, it's yeah. kind of like um, in the old days, you know, fax machines. I was in the fax business. The other person had a fax machine too. And if you were the only person right. who had one, you couldn't use it at all. So, uh, you know, it would be awesome to be able to be, uh, you know, be able to be the only people that had a technology. But when everybody has it, now it becomes table stakes. And, yeah, that's, and it's that's not an advantage that's anymore. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, you know, certainly there's some things that we're seeing now in the market where there are ways to share data with competitors that sort of alleviate some of the competitive concerns uh, that alleviate some regulatory concerns around privacy and, and personally identifiable information. So that's something that I think is pretty exciting. Uh, and, and there are ways to implement this now with cloud technology. Again, once everyone's in the cloud, essentially everyone's data is one is in one place, not just the company's data, but your data and my data. If it's both in the cloud and AWS, for example, it's basically in the same place. So it's very, very easy then to share. So I think that's something that you know we'll see a lot of. And also, like I said, monetizing data. You know, How can we start to charge, uh, if I'm a business, how do I charge my customers maybe a premium to get access to to this data that maybe is very valuable to them uh, or some data that I've enriched somehow or I've provided uh, an algorithm on top of this data that then provides uh, very useful insights back out to my own customers. And that's something that I think we'll see a lot more of is, is data monetization. Yeah, well, it's happening. 
it's happening a lot already. Do you think it that is, the right. um, do you think that the, the blockchain is going to become common for uh, many many applications, or is that just kind of a hyped up thing for something? No, I I, I think it's very interesting. I mean, by no means am I an expert in blockchain, but just as as sort of an industry observer. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very excited. I think one of the coolest things I've seen recently on the blockchain are, are these NFTs, these non-fungible tokens like NBA Top Shot, uh, sort of, which is replacing the old uh, upper deck, uh, you know, basketball cards back in the day that I used to collect. So stuff like that, I think, is really interesting and really neat. But I think that kind of shows you the possibilities of blockchain, blockchain just beyond like Bitcoin, for example. Everyone knows about cryptocurrencies, but the te- technology, the blockchain that underpins those cryptocurrencies can be used for all kinds of things including contracts and like these, you know, digital trading cards, if you will. So that's pretty cool. And I, and I think we'll see a lot more adoption around those type of technologies beyond just cryptocurrencies specifically. Well, you know what, what, uh, what's great about the, uh, the MBA thing that they're doing with the NFTs is uh, when they take something complicated and they put it into something that we can all understand, yeah. all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, now I get what this is. And then when they apply it to something more complicated, because right now it's so amorphous, it's so hard yeah. for us to understand what it is. But you know, when you say this is a unique playing card, this is a unique picture, no one else has it, you own it, and, and no matter what, no one else can duplicate it. All of a sudden it's like, oh, you, you kind of start getting it and then you see it and then finally you really do get it. And then other people can start to get it and then, then they can build on it. So it, it was very smart for them to go to the NBA yeah. and, and do that sort of thing because it really... Uh, it, that's the place where people are going to uh, learn from. Well, I think you're 100% right. I mean, that's almost um, kind of the sign of, of, a, of a technology reaching the adoption curve when it, when the technology itself starts to fade into the background. And like, you know, you don't necessarily care that NBA Top Shots is built on the blockchain. You just know you got a cool trading card, right? And you can trade it and sell it and, and you know it's unique. Um, but again, you know, if, if I'm the 15-year-old person who's, you know, downloading this, uh, this pack of, of cards... You know, I don't necessarily care that it's on the blockchain. And that's when you start to see some really exciting use cases uh, come out on these type of technologies. Yeah. I mean, listen, it, it's it's the beginning of, uh, of normalcy. And then then we're off to the right. next thing. That's and right. Next that's thing right. you know, they'll be putting, uh, you know, grant deeds for homes and mortgages and, yep. you know, bank accounts and other things. They'll all be part of be using that technology because it's uh, very secure. And, and the truth is, it doesn't really matter what it is. I mean, you, you know, right. we don't really need to know it. We just need to know that it's just part of our life and it, it just sort of works. Well, well Nick, that, you're, a, you're, you're a fascinating uh, person. Thank you so much for uh, enlightening us and, you know, kind of tolerating some of the questions. <laughs> I, I just, I can't help it. I, I just, some of these things are, are so... Uh, you know, curious for me, but uh, we appreciate you sharing and uh, and I appreciate you, uh, you know, being here with us. Thanks, Joel. Really appreciate the conversation. Enjoyed it and uh, looking forward to talking soon. Awesome. Take care, man. Thank you. All right. See you. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Autovita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audivita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.